Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on love people. Of all the things that I ask God for, I ask God that I will love people well. And of all the things sometimes that is the greatest challenge, it's to love people well. In ministry and in life and in your workplace and in your family, you know that heartaches come. People reject you. People turn their back on you. People do those things. And sometimes it's easy to love God, but it's sometimes hard to love people. But the Bible says, if you say I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. And the truth isn't in you. You can't love God and hate your brother. We can't be the embodiment of the kingdom without unity. You know, I believe there's a a lot of things that come with following Christ that are commands. He says, I bring to you a new commandment that you love one another so that they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And so there's things that come with commands. And I believe if there's anything that we've done over the years, and it's not any particular generation, I think it's a progression of generations, we always say... I remember Jahan and I, we had this thought when we were young and naive. And we started on this child-rearing journey. And we said, we're not going to say no to anything unless we have a reason to say no. We're not just going to say no because it makes us inconvenienced or whatever. We're going to say yes to everything unless there's a specific reason to say no, right? Because we want our kids to be bold when they approach God. I mean, we don't want them to be conditioned to always hear no when there's no reason. We practiced this one time uh, while we were, we, were, we were at Burger King one time, and Elias, this was in Kodak, Elias wanted some of the empty boxes that you put nuggets in, right? And so we're up at the register, and he's like, I want some of those boxes up there. And I caught myself, no. And then I was like, well, if he wants to ask for those boxes, let's empower him to ask for those boxes, right? And so we're like, okay, ask the lady if you can have them. So, of course, he asked the lady if he can have some of the empty nugget boxes, and she gave them to him, right? And so, in theory, that's a wonderful thing. In practice, we know that you can't explain to your kid every time you tell them no, why, right? It will be exhausting and wear you out. And so there's some things that come by commands that we know we have to do, right? So we have to love each other. Because it's a command. And so there's things that we, you know, that's it's somewhat humorous. We have, you know, it's a command. But there's things that we just come to understand. Do you know what I mean? We come to understand about God and about his word. And so we just know it's the right thing to do, right? And so we do things because we know it's the right thing to do. And so a lot of times if someone asks you, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? In regards to questions about our faith, so many times we will answer with a static form answer, you're supposed to, or that's just what, you know, Christians do, or that's what we're supposed to do. And so there's a lot of those things that that's the right answer because maybe we don't understand at that time why we're supposed to do that. So if you don't know why you need to love people and you don't see the overarching picture of what interconnectivity brings and how it envelops the kingdom and how your need for that is in life, we'll start with just do it because you're told to, okay? But I do think that there is this 
we have to because we're supposed to and we know and just our awareness of God and being in his presence let, gives us this drive and this, and this compulsion to want to love people because we feel his love, right? And so that's, that's awesome, but I think that we also need to understand the function of it. I think so many times in church, just like with my kids and with Johanna and I's ideas, somewhere in the middle is where we landed. And I think somewhere in the middle is where we have to land as the body of Christ in between how much we emphasize the commands and how much we emphasize the heart. And we need to understand the commands and we need to understand the heart behind the commands. And we need to obey, but we need to obey with a hope and an understanding of the heart of God and what obedience brings. It says no one can please God unless they believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so it's okay to say what's in it for me. David, when he was going to slay Goliath, we're like, man, what a great story. But the story starts with, hey, what happens if I kill the giant? Man, that's such selfish motivation. So we need to love people, but we need to understand the benefits of loving people as well. And how much it impacts our lives. See, I was talking with somebody this week about shopping. I think it was Johan and I. We went out on a date the other night. It was beautiful, wonderful. And... Um, we went to eat, and we went to the, at the mall and ate at Cheesecake Factory, and we were walking around, and, and we're realizing, you know, East Town Mall is closing, Knoxville Center, I'm sorry. Don't be that guy if somebody wants to correct that. Come on. It's East Town Mall, all right? Huh? Yeah, still East Town Mall, all right? And so it's closing down. Um, I just saw an article, you know, with J.C. Penney's having the worst Christmas ever. We noticed what brought it about with us is we noticed in the mall that all the little stores used to be the prime location for the little stores was outside of the department stores, right? And so the prime locations in the mall we're in front of the department stores. So we noticed a lot of the chain stores are now moving to the center of where you come into the mall around the food court and the Starbucks because people still eat and drink, right? I don't know why anybody drinks Starbucks. Probably just not a life house in West Knoxville, right? <laughs> so that's, that's the only reason. So, so, but these stores are moving because no stores are want to be there anymore you know and we saw like the stores that know what they're doing you know some of the big chain stores we noticed they're all moving away from being right in front of jc penny where they held for years because that was the best place to be and then down the other wing by belk or the other wing by whatever dillard's or sears or all those places now they just come to the center because people aren't even making those tracks down those other wings they're just coming into the center getting food and doing the little shopping right so because everything's going online, unless it's specialty and you can't order it online, but anything mass or bulk or whatever you can get. Uh, I saw where Best Buy will be out of business, they say, before long, because people just go in Best Buy to pick up the thing and look at the thing that they're going to order off Amazon, right? <laughs> and so Best Buy is paying millions of dollars to let you come in and look at the product before you leave and order it from Amazon. And so everything is going to this, and, and I, this, 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 maybe it's just super sentimental. I used to work at Chick-fil-A in the mall when I was a teenager, and Christmas time was so amazing. Like I haven't, I don't, Christmas isn't as long for me now as it was when I worked there because Christmas would start the day after Thanksgiving, and every day was Christmas at the mall. The energy was just palpable, you know. It was just crazy how amazing it was. I went back for years after I quit working at Chick-fil-A just to work during Christmas because it was just so exciting there during Christmas time. And so, but all of the social buzz that takes place, and now in this culture, in this generation, 
being driven to online. I know online is convenient. My wife doesn't even go to the grocery store anymore, <laughs> ever. We order, first we started ordering where you order it and then go pick it up. Now we order where they bring it to the house. I don't even know what it costs to do that, but it's worth it. And I don't even care. But we're getting to the place. I remember, I remember hearing somebody and they talked about, I can't remember all the statistics, but just how, how neighborhoods and how interconnectivity diminished with the invention of the garage. Because people now pull into their garage and close the garage and then get out of their car. Before, at least, you would park your garage in the driveway, get out of your car, and there was a little window you might see a neighbor. Now we don't, right? And we don't go to the store, and we don't go to the mall. I mean, if you've got 28 people that live in your house, you're still getting social activity, right? <laughs> so it's okay. But for the average person... Our social connectivity with the advancement of technology is diminishing greatly. And so, and then when we do get in an environment where we can interact, we're in our technology ordering from Walmart and having them deliver it to the house. But our connectivity is greatly diminishing. And we're made in his image. I ain't even got to the first note yet. <laughs> Let us make man in our image. So from the start, there was... The image that we're made in is a we, us, our image. And so there's supposed to be a we, us, and our existence. We're never created to function alone. We, we, we act like we're so confused that people seem crazier than ever before. People are more socially awkward than they ever were before. It's like because we break into their isolation and their 27 hours straight of playing a video game and then say, hey, go talk to people at school. And they're like, I don't know how to do that. And we just aren't interacting. And if we're created in the image of one who has fellowship in himself and we're the body that's supposed to have fellowship then we're living a diminished life literally part of us is dead and I was going to use Oakland for two purpose and I don't know where Jehu is but he's getting a diaper change all my babies are gone but here we are if I had Oakland or if I had Jehu up here and I just laid him on this carpet by himself and I walked away like, what would his future be? Joking about Oakland. Chloe said she's at home. Is she home by herself? <laughs> what would the future of Oakland be, not to, if she was home by herself? What are the chances of survival? Come on. What are the chances that she's going to survival of the fittest, learn how to flip up, yeah. run into the kitchen, <laughs> fix herself a bottle, <laughs> say, I'm good? It's absolutely absurd. 
And some of y'all look absolutely absurd. Y'all are laying on the floor, you know, and the worst thing that happens is we learn how to walk. The worst thing that happens is we learn how to feed ourselves, go down the slide by ourselves. It's a sad moment as a parent when that starts happening, right? You can't wait for it to come, and then you hate it when it gets there. But the worst thing that happens is we get to where we're self-sufficient. And in the spirit, the worst thing that happens is, is when we think we can figure it out by ourselves. And we no longer need to be connected. We no longer need anybody to help us. We no longer need to walk in fellowship with anybody else. I got this. I can survive by myself. And it's contrary to Scripture, period. So I don't care how strong you feel. I don't care how independent you feel. The Word of God says you're like an infant laying on the floor and you will most definitely die. If you don't understand the value of being connected to a body. All of my limbs function and work well together. If I cut this finger off by accident, the only chance I have on this finger remaining alive or ever being alive again is to expeditiously, as quickly as possible, get to the hospital, and then sew it back on and get it reconnected to the rest of the body. It's absurd to think that I can take that finger and say, well, it's okay. I'll just throw it on there when I want to use it. (laughs) And it'll do what it needs to do. Well, when you throw it on there, it's going to be dead. And it's going to rot and decay and turn to dust before the rest of the body. The rest of the body will function. It'll be hindered, but that finger will be dead. How absurd is it when we say, I'll show the body. I won't be connected to a body anymore. I don't like the body. I'll teach them. Guess what? The body is going to continue to function. But you're going to die. You need the body. You need the life source that comes from the body. Look at Ephesians 4. 16. For his body has been formed... In his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we're built up and made perfect in love. In love. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll go to verse 12. Just as the human body is one, though it has many parts that together form one body, so too is Christ. For by one spirit, we we all were immersed and mingled into one single body. And no matter our status, whether we're Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we're all privileged to drink deeply of the same Holy Spirit. In fact, the human body is not one single part, but rather many parts mingled into one. So if the foot were to say, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's forgetting that it is still a vital part of the body. And if the ear were to say, since I'm not an eye, I'm not really a part of the body, it's forgetting that it is still an important part of the body. 
Think of it this way. If the whole body were just an eyeball, how could it hear sounds? And if the whole body were just an ear, how could it smell different fragrances? But God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required. For if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many differing parts and functions, but one body. It's important that we're part of the body. We play an important part in the body. And so that goes to the command, you need to be a part of the body, you need to play your role in the body, but the heart of it is, I want you to live. The heart of God is, I want you to be sustained. So ridiculous how much we resist what God says because we don't know God's heart behind what he says. Well, don't tell me I have to be a part of the body. Don't tell me I need to use my gifts there. Okay, I won't. But he loves you, and he wants you to live. And he created you. So if he tells you you need to be a part of the body, he must know something you don't know. Like you can't live unless you're connected to the body. So be connected. Let's go to Ezekiel 37. Going way back for this one. Ezekiel 37. Get a drink while you type it into your phone. We don't say turn your pages anymore. (laughs) Just throw it. The devil is a liar. I felt good all week this week, and last night I was going to bed, and I felt like I got hit by a truck. Coughing my head off and all that stuff again, and I had a hard time last night, and my wife prayed for me this morning, and I just feel amazing. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, And he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. Uh, This is the picture. I'll use Jehu because I just can't use Oakland for this analogy. But it's this picture is what happens... After Jehu lays here long enough by himself. Eventually, if all of y'all were spread out across the valley by yourselves and you didn't see the need to be interconnected, you would go from a bunch of individuals to a bunch of bones. And so there's a bunch of bones and they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive. And you will know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling. And listen to this, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now look, I usually read this, and the Lord just took me to this yesterday, usually read this as these bones being inanimate objects, right? But the action of this passage, who's doing the action? 
The bones. It's almost like the bones had a choice. And the bones heard the word of the Lord and the bones decided to come together. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinews were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them. So once the bones decided to come together, then there was this thing that was not them. It grew on them, but it doesn't show that any other thing was having an action. It's like God responded to the bones' choice and wrapped them with himself. And he put sinews and he put flesh on them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. You know, people keep asking me about 2020. What's 2020? What's God going to do in 2020? What's the, what's, the, what's the motto? What's the slogan? I don't know. I've never in my life had a slogan for a year. I, it's fine if somebody does. I just never have. But I can't, I, I just, I've not been able to really think about a year. Literally, since we started talking about 2020, I was talking to Rick last night, and he said this is the first time in his life he's ever had vision for a decade instead of a year. And I've not been able to think about 2020 in itself. All I've been able to hear is about a decade. I was talking with my papa the other day, and... This is an amazing feat, but as of January 1 this year, he saw the same decade he was born in a different century, because he was born in the 20s, and he saw the 20s come back. I would have to, what'd you say? I would have to see the 70s come to do what he's done. 50 years to see the 70s come. And I was talking to him about that and how amazing I thought that was. And my Aunt Karen, she told me to make sure and give her credit. (laughs) She said the roaring 20s. And when she said the roaring 20s, my spirit leapt. And I haven't been able to get the roaring 20s out of my head since then. There's nothing new under the sun. I believe we're going to see a redemption of the roaring 20s. See, the first roaring 20s led to the Great Depression. All that roaring didn't result in progression. It resulted in depression. But the result of this decade of roaring 20s is going to result in great progression and great increase because we, the body, are going to roar. An exceeding great army is going to rise up, and we're going to advance greatly in this decade. The roaring 20s. We're going to lift our voice like never before in the roaring 20s. But it takes breath to roar, and it takes breath to live. But the preparation for the breath was the coming together. We want God to breathe on our dry bones, but we refuse to align our dry bones with some other bones. We want to keep our bones isolated and have our little party with Jesus all by ourselves, but he 
moves in the body. And he's waiting on you to connect your dryness to somebody else and he's going to wrap it with sinews and with flesh and he's going to breathe in it and you're going to roar like never before. But we've got to love people. And I don't just mean love people because you've got to love people. I mean we've got to love them. We've got to see their value. We've got to see their worth. We've got to see our need to be connected to them. I've got to be with you. I've got to spend time with you. Man, you just kind of pulled that out of your hat from Ezekiel that the bones come together. I mean, I don't really... What about in Acts chapter 2? On the day of that, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were together in one place. King James says they were in a Honda. Hundred and twenty people in a Honda. Nothing new under the sun. That's where the clown car came from. They were all in one accord. <laughs> Officially the corniest joke I've ever told preaching in my life. <laughs> Yet y'all still laugh like it's the funniest thing you ever heard. So I don't know who's cornier, me or you. <laughs> y'all just love me, don't you? That's a sympathy laugh. <laughs> They're gathered in one place. How many things can we, how many times can we discredit unity? Well, you don't really have to be unified, you know, to really enjoy the presence of God and the Spirit of God. I think Acts 2 is pretty much precedent setting, right? If we were going to try to make a formula out of something, Acts 2 would be a passage you would probably want to go to to try to pull from. The greatest demonstration of the power of God up until that point, right? It might be a place where you want to take some notes. Might be a way you want to kind of model your life after. And if it says they were together in one place, we might want to put some value on getting together in one place with people. In one mind and in one cord. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. Later on in that passage, you see Peter preaching. The same Peter who denied Christ three times before the rooster crowed to a little girl. He's standing up and he's preaching. He's telling them, these people aren't drunk. But this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In Joel 2 and 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions and it will all happen when you come together. When you purpose in your heart in unity, you will see a display of my spirit like never before. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like oil running off of Aaron's beard. I can give personal testimonies. It's not just about the dry bones in Ezekiel. It's not just about Acts 2. Matter of fact, I don't like being called a Pentecostal. 
because I feel like we memorialize one day and try to recreate it all the time. To me, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is so much bigger than that one day. I've had this Pentecost experience sitting in my truck with another brother who's opened themselves up and began to talk about areas of their life. And in that moment, it is like out of body. Something invades that moment of two men coming together, seeking the heart of God in a place of desperation, saying, we need to hear your voice, and I will find myself saying things under the utterance of the Holy Spirit that I never possibly could have thought of on my own. And life comes from that moment. Transformation comes from that moment. And it's the exact picture of Acts 2. There was no exuberant shouting or exuberant worship. We didn't spill out into the streets and nobody thought we were drunk. But we came together in unity and we came waiting and expecting the Holy Spirit to invade that moment. And he came in and he did a miracle in our midst. He calls us to hear Rightly, and he causes us to speak clearly. And you can see the dead raised in a moment of revelation when the Holy Spirit invades. Without coming together, we are void of those moments. You've seen it in a group Bible study. You've seen it definitely on a Sunday time of worship or a night of worship or 12 hours of worship or whatever it may be. I guarantee you this, we'll see it tomorrow night. When however many people come together at 6.30 to just hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. There'll be a divine encounter. An undeniable divine encounter. But it comes... In unity. He made us in his image. He made us to function interconnected. He's building us up. He's the chief cornerstone and we're all living stones fitted together. He's building us up and he's joining us together. And there is life. You understand? There's life. I mean, the stone is there. The cornerstone is there. But you can't build a wall on one stone. He's the foundation. He's the core. But you have to be connected to other people to be what you're created to be. You have to be. You're just going to be a block. I would go so far as to say this. That would have been a great analogy. Man, I had like 10 analogies and all of them were very destructive. I wanted to get a pulley and put it on the ceiling and get a three-stranded rope and get a massive, something massive, weight. And I wanted to see who would volunteer if I dissected that rope and pulled out one of the strands, would stand under that item held up on a pulley by that one strand of rope. It would be risky. And I wanted to pull it up, and then as I'm pulling it up, it breaks and crashes to the floor, and I thought it would probably put a hole in the floor. But yet, when we put the three strands together, they're not easily broken. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. It's not addition. It's multiplication. Anybody ever catch that? If one can put a thousand, two should be putting two thousand, right? But there's something that happens yes. outer otherworldly yes. when we function 
in the image we were created to function in, we get a glimpse of how the multiplication of the kingdom takes place. And so that one strand becomes three strands, and that hundred pounds it could hold becomes a ton. You know, a strand separate from the other two, it's not simple like three times that weight. It, what's the word? Exponentially holds more weight. And so coming together is not, oh yeah, I'll join with this person, this person, that should get it. No, it's, let's look for the exponential increase. Let's look for, let's look past addition and let's look for the multiplication. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to... Oh, I was getting ready to tell you before I got distracted by the analogy I didn't do. Look at that. Y'all thought it was gone and I brought it back. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It would literally be like this. Here's the picture. If I have a block sitting right here, the cornerstone, that means it's on a corner. Okay? What happens on a corner? This block comes this way, this block goes this way, this block goes this way. If I lay one block on the cornerstone, what's it do? It falls off. It's like cantilever. It's interconnected. Our ability to, for our life to be sustained and built on the foundation of Jesus is also codependent on being connected with others. We're being fitted together to build up a temple to host his glory. A body for him to breathe in again, fresh and new. I was last night at a dinner. I usually go about every year, probably the largest fundamental Baptist church in our area. They have a great school there as well. And they were singing last night. Of course, the music was different than our music. But they got to a place in the song as we all sat quietly and listened to the choir sing. And I thought they were going to throw me out because in this very large fundamental Baptist church and school they were seeing about a turnaround taking place in our nation and they said they said oh my open the floodgates of your power and it just came out I said so be it Open the floodgates of your power. I believe we were in agreement last night. We may have different ideas about what that looks like, but I believe there is a hunger for him to open the floodgates of his power. The pastor, as he closed out the meeting, said, God, would you send revival? And again, I said, so be it. Send revival, God. Open your floodgates of your power and pour it out on a united people that are joined together, knitted together, that love one another, that are ready to display your glory to the world around us. Breathe on us again, God. Pour your spirit out on us. Let our old men dream dreams. Let our young men see visions. And God, we will pick our dry bone self up. And we will stop believing the lies of our adversary who comes to insulate us and isolate us and kill us and destroy us. 
and we will shake off every weight that tries to hold us in separation and we will run to unity and we will run to connectivity and we will run to fellowship. We'll put off all of our uncomfortableness. There was a passage I wanted to share today. I don't, give me one second. I can't find it right off. It talked about loving one another and the sacrifice it takes to love one another. It just hit me when I was reading that, that the sacrifice it takes for us to love one another many times is putting ourselves on an altar of potential rejection. Well, I don't like to go because I don't always feel this, or I don't, I don't, I don't go to a life group because I don't, you know. And I, I, they may not like me, and I may not fit in. Put yourself on an altar for the sake of the body. Sacrifice your own pride. Sacrifice your own fear. Sacrifice your own insecurities, and drag yourself out there, and put yourself on an altar. And see if the power of God won't come into that situation and put a ram in the thicket and let you come out alive and full of His glory. Prayer team, if you'll come. Some may want to receive prayer today. We don't always do this. I don't preach a sermon to get to a point to try to get you to do something. Usually I just, we pray a prayer and I say, hey, if you want prayer, come. But today I think some of you really need to take a step. The enemy's tried to isolate you. He's tried to lie to you. He's tried to get you to a place of just absolute, you know, I always say insulation is comfortable till it turns into isolation. It always feels like we're warm and fuzzy and we're protected until we realize we can't get out. But who today wants to push past all of the lies that kind of keep you to yourself? And you know you're like baby Jehu up here by himself or Oakland at home. You know your days are numbered if you can't push past your insecurity and put yourself on an altar for fellowship. If that's you today, will you just come up and let somebody just agree with you. Let this be your first step of pushing past isolation. Come on, just step out and just come up here and let somebody pray with you. Let this be your first step of pushing past isolation. Pushing past insecurity. Those of, us, those of us in our seats, can we just consecrate ourselves right where we are? God, I'm, I want to do whatever it takes. I want to do whatever it takes to position myself in the body to receive the fullness of your life that you want to flow into me. I want to be connected. I want to be, I want to, I want your sinews and your flesh. I want to stay long enough to get sewed together. Give me the confidence. Give me the boldness. Give me the, the, the spirit of fear I, has no place. Give me a sound mind to, to pursue connectedness. Let me push past all of the fear. And let me push into fellowship. Push into fellowship. Push into fellowship. Come into unity and let the wind blow.
Let the breath come. Spirit of God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for the door of opportunity that is before us to come together and to receive all you have for us. We will be the body of Christ. We will be a people that love one another. We will be a people that send up a marker to heaven. This is a place for you to pour out your spirit. This is a place that's in unity. Pour out your glory. Come, mighty wind of God. Breath of God. Holy Spirit, come. Invade our times of fellowship and refreshing. You know, another example, just like Acts, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. So that takes fellowship so that times of refreshing will come. See, there's another example of part of heaven that comes and it only comes when there's an exchange that takes place between two humans. Confess your faults one to another and times of refreshing will come. God, we want all that you have we don't want only what you can give us while we're by ourselves. We're ready to submit ourselves to all the parts of you that comes through fellowship and interconnectivity. Here we are. Join us together. Bind us together. Unite us as one voice and one force to see progression and abundance and increase. In Jesus' name, so be it, so be it, so be it. Open the floodgates of your power and send revival to every church in Knoxville and surrounding areas and even into our nation in the uttermost parts of the world. God, would you open the floodgates of your power and send revival on a unified people. Let us put, push past all of our differences and all of our political ideas and let the body of Christ come together. Let us push past every denominational barrier. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.